word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, I am going to try, but my wife tells me I shouldn't try, uh, but I'm going to try to be cool today. <laughs> we are going to be spending time with uh, Aubrey Flynn. Uh, this guy is... I, there's so much going on with Aubrey in a really cool way and the culture behind it and his, his um, attention to detail and his desire to help the next generation is what I hope we get out of this conversation. He's got, we, we can drop names till the, till the cows go home as we might say. And he's done some amazing things with people like Diddy and Snoop Dogg and Charles Barkley. Um, so like I was saying, he's much cooler than I am. I'm going to try to be cool here on the podcast. Aubrey, great to great to meet you, sir. You got a great smile there. I can see why people want to engage with you. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Thank you, and 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 really appreciate you allowing me to be here on your platform. I'm I'm honored. Well, I appreciate that, sir. All right, so let's go back before we go to sort of the low hanging fruit of what you're doing right now in your personal brand and what you're trying to do to help folks. Take me back way before the Diddy days. Take me back to what what your world was like and what how big sort of the kaleidoscope was for you and the horizon that you saw looking sort of outward. Were you a goal-driven young man? Were you uh, a man against the machine kind of a guy that was going counter <laughs> to society? Paint that picture. So uh, when you look at the big picture, uh, my my beginning is with my family. My, my parents are immigrants from Jamaica, and they had me in Queens, New York. I was born in Southside, Jamaica, Queens. It's an underserved community, and I was born in the early 80s, so there was this huge uh, epidemic at the time uh, that made the streets really unsafe. Uh, so they ended up sending me to Florida. We migrated to Florida where I went to school. Now, my parents were really hardworking, really religious. Uh, I grew up in a strict household. They would get up. My father was an air-conditioned repairman. My mother was a registered nurse. And they would be up and at it by like, you know, six in the morning before I even opened my eyes. I remember them going back and forth in the hall. So I, I knew the essence of hard work at a very early age. That was ingrained in me. And because they were so religious, we were in church every weekend and my parents were seven day Adventists. So they didn't allow me to watch cartoons on Saturday. We, we observed the Sabbath a lot like, you know, people who worship like, like Jewish folks might observe the Saturday, like they don't do secular things. Like that's kind of how I was raised. So from a discipline and ritual perspective, all of that was part of my natural um, evolution. So where did culture Just, come in then, Aubrey? So what's fascinating about that, and not to dive too deep here, but if you would allow me, that's fascinating because 
from the outside and my research on you, I'm like, man, this guy's cool. Like he's doing some amazing things. He's hanging out with the people that everybody wants to hang out with. Well, that would tell me, I mean, that, that sort of, <laughs> that's the other side of the coin, right? I mean, if, if you're living a very structured life like that and you're not being exposed to the very things that in your adult life you are now embedded in, help connect those dots for me. Was there a moment when you understood what street cred meant? And does it have the same meaning to you now as maybe it did at that moment? So that's a great question. And the, the reality is everything changed when I was 14. Unfortunately, my mother had fibroids and she went in for surgery, let's say in January. Uh, and she was a, a victim of medical malpractice. So what happened, they went in to remove it. They found some cancerous tumor there. And as opposed to kind of making a plan and strategy around it, they tried to remove it right there in the same operation. Uh, that unfortunately led to it rupturing and spreading. So within six months, I watched my mother deteriorate, you know, down to the size of a toothpick. She lost her hair. She was, I mean, it was tough. And I was 13 going on 14. It was the last year in middle school. So I was just about to go to, uh, to, um, to high school. And it, it, it literally kind of put a pause on everything for me. And that's when I started to, you know, go hang out, as they would say in, in my culture. Um, I got off the porch, if you will. <laughs> I, I love that. You got off the porch, man. There's such a visual to that. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And, and um, you know, I started to learn a lot because my father was there in my life the entire time. But because he was so busy focusing on things he needed to focus on, he wasn't necessarily like micromanaging me. So a lot of the older guys in my neighborhood were bringing me under their wing. I started to pick up, you know, habits and things of that nature, just hanging around in the neighborhood. But from the very beginning, I was always interested in culture. So I was always tuned in, even going to school in Florida to music, fashion, lifestyle, things of that nature. I was definitely a participant of the culture. I definitely was into fashion from a young age, so much so that I was, you know, my peers in high school uh, said I was best dressed. You know, I got the best dressed. This is superlative. Man, so, you and I share an award, man. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, okay, so, so, yeah. so tell, tell me, Aubrey, about influence, because you, you said it subtly there. But I would think that it was incredibly impactful and still resides in your mind today, which is as your dad was obviously doing all that he could to keep things afloat with the household and everything that was going on personally, you were starting to sort of download or digest those experiences once you got off the porch. Well, that, right. that to me is influence, right? And now you are actively, I mean, you could be doing what you're doing post Diddy and Barkley and all these sorts of things and Snoop, but you're doing it with a lens that is honed in on influence in a very positive sort of actionable manner. So what was it about the influence that you experienced as a youth that sort of in, kind of built those initial blueprints for you that said, and I can, I can be influenced from different things in my, my culture, my neighbors, the kids at school these sorts of things. That has to be something that was activated in you. I don't think that that's just something that you automatically had, do you? You know, I, I, I don't think it was automatic. I really think it came from 
just wanting to 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 be um, to have access to things. And I knew that financial um, success, if you will, was the key to unlocking those doors in this country. I realized that from a very early age, like during middle school, I was selling cards at lunch to just earn money. Selling so cards? Time, what kind of card? What do you mean you were selling cards? So one of my friends, he used to have a connection at the baseball card shop. So he would buy a bunch of cards. He would come and sell me a pack for like $7, right? And I would take the gold foil stamp and I would sell it during lunchtime for four. And I would sell maybe four or five of those at lunchtime. And that's how, I, that was my first house. So <laughs> baseball cards at lunchtime. Right. That evolved because I went to art school in middle school. My mother was an educator in Jamaica before she became a nurse. So she had me in these advanced classes and I was always into art and music. So by the time I got to high school, I was skipping art class and I was going to the music store and I was making my little beats on the keyboard. I would save them on a little floppy or a dip on the floppy. It was a hard disk at the time. I majored myself. And um, I would go back like two days later uh, and, and do the same thing. And as long as I checked in with the art teacher, I'm like, hey, I got all my work, right? You still got an A. He's like, you're good. All right. <laughs> so I was, I was doing my music thing in high school just as a hobby. By the time I got to college, I had my own album. It was shrink wrapped. I had my own barcode. So similar to middle school selling baseball cards between classes, there's this place we used to call a set at UF. And I would have a good 20 to 30 CDs in my book bag and I'm selling them, you know, $20 a pop. I go across campus, put the money in my in my, uh, you know, ATM, you know, deposit in my bank. And this is kind of how I was hustling my way through college because, you know, it was just me and my pops trying to make ends meet. Uh, you know, I got a job at a local advertising um, agency in Gainesville. I went to the University of Florida. I'm a Gator. And I taught myself Photoshop while I was at college. My pop spent like maybe his last few hundred dollars on a computer to send me off to school. So I taught myself Photoshop. I'm selling CDs. I'm going to class for business. And um, I'm, I'm freestyling. I'm going to the studio. I'm meeting all kind of guys at the studio. And, and, and I'm also designing for local clubs. I'm designing for campus organizations, you know, flyers, advertising material. So that's how I officially got into, I'd say, you know, digital marketing, because I started designing emails, started designing websites. Yeah. So that's really how I started to expand my portfolio in terms of skill set. How did you but, balance your talents, Aubrey? Like, you know, take athletics. Um you'll get someone who's really talented in a number of sports. And at some point they kind of go, man, I can just, I can see that curveball better than I can, I can, you know, block that D end or whatever. Right. And they, they sort of, they start to slot priorities, right? So you're, you're doing your music, right? You're, yeah. you've got your side hustles. Now you're finding success and people are responding to your ideas creatively. What, what kind of discussion did you have with yourself? What was what was that like? And let me ask you uh, maybe a tough question or maybe just one that's a personal question. Talk with me a little bit about being a black man in America and thinking about those paths and where there may be the path of least resistance when it comes to what those goals were, because some of them were being independent in the music side, right? Working right. for, in essence, what we would traditionally call the man like corporate America and or doing it on your own. Can you bring me yeah. into that 
conversation, if you don't mind? Let's do it. So I had this idea when I was in college. I, I wasn't um, I wasn't successful even after graduating college as a black man, having a degree from the University of Florida in business, specialization in communication. I couldn't find a job. The only job I could find was in construction. And no disrespect to any hardworking construction person, but my father having fixed air conditions for his whole career. When I went back to, to Fort Lauderdale, Florida and told him, hey, I got a $50,000 offer from a construction company. He took the book off of the shelf and he threw it at me. And he said, yo, I didn't do all of this sacrifice for you to do that. I know how hard that life is. You need to figure it out. So I went back to Gainesville and I literally was essentially homeless. I was living with a friend of mine. He had a duplex and he, he wasn't renting it to me. He was like, you could stay here and make some music. I had to choose a lane, whether it was business or music and which way I was gonna go because I was juggling a lot, trying to find a job, trying to be this artist. And obviously street credit has a lot to do with the hip hop game, right? So by the time I got to, I want to say four years after I graduated, um, I got a call. But but actually, even before then, what really started to, to draw a line in the sand was when I got my first internship. So I'm going to take a step back before I graduated. When I was, when I was in college, I went to a retreat in Miami while all my friends were kind of partying in, uh, what, what would they do, Cancun. <laughs> so I'm sitting here focused on getting a job because I was, I was a broke college kid and I hated it. I had my hustle going, but I needed something substantial. So I heard about this retreat in Miami. I go down there during spring break and I meet all of these executives. I get like 40, 50 business cards. I'm handing out resumes. I go back to my dorm. And when you come to my dorm room, I have like four lanes of paper out four columns because on Monday, I was sending an email. On Tuesday, I was sending a fax. On Wednesday, I'm sending a, a, a letter in the mail. And then by Friday, I'm picking up the phone like, hey, did you get, my, did you get my, my resume? I'm interested in interning. I did this for about three months straight. And I didn't get a call back. I didn't get anything until one day, one of the admins was so sick and tired of me calling. She was like, hold on, I'm going to get this guy and you're going to talk to him. So the guy that really saved my life is a guy named Emmett Dennis. He's another black man. He happens to be from uh, Liberia. And he had a job working as the vice president for, for Puff uh, at what was at that time Blue Flame Marketing and Advertising. So after about a 45-minute call, this is my first interview, he's like, you know what? Sure, you could come up here and you can interview So and you can intern. That was my first internship. I ended up doing that for two summers straight. Uh, and it was amazing. I saw Black men with families and careers, like in entertainment, working in New York City, and being a kid from Jamaica, Queens that grew up in South Florida. You didn't see a lot of that. You know, if you weren't like a doctor or a lawyer, you were kind of blue collar. And that was pretty much it. So to be out in New York City, really uh, rubbing shoulders with some real industry heavyweights, it was inspiring to me. Now, 
I mentioned that this was two summers as an intern. So I ended up going back to school, graduating. But all of that said, I still couldn't find a job. So I was still, I was still out of luck. So I started a rap group. We produced our own mixtape. We took $5,000 of money, and I will not tell you where the money came from. Uh, but <laughs> it DJ Drama to host our first mixtape. And we sold 40,000 copies out of the trunk. Now, this is something that I started. I came up with the name. I, came, I was designing the graphics. I made the beats. And by about 85% of that project was creative directed by me. In April, right before my birthday, Emmett Dennis calls me up. I'm in the projects right now. I'm on EBT, welfare, pretty much homeless, right? You're in New York or are you in Florida? I'm in Florida. Okay. I'm, in, I'm in Florida, right outside of the University of Florida, because my pops told me to figure something out. So I went back to Gainesville trying yep. to figure something out. So Emmett calls me on the phone. He says, look, I'm starting a new company because he had just finished this voter die campaign with Diddy and he got a lot of relationships with folks in DC in the beltway, they say. And he started a new company catering to uh, you know, political advertising and marketing. He said, hey, I need some support. Would you be willing to come to New York and help me out? So I look around, <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. So I go to New York and now I'm flying back and forth. And this is when I had to make a decision because I'm not making a lot of money. I'm basically a glorified assistant um, in my early 20s, paying off student loans, and I'm flying back and forth because we did 40,000 records in the street. So now we're getting asked to open up for Lil Wayne, open up for Lil Young Jeezy and all these other guys. So it was incredible. But one day while I'm in the office, I get a phone call from my, from my friends and they're like, hey man, somebody wants to put up $200,000 to invest in the group, but they want you out of the group because you're in New York, you're not here. You know, this ain't, this ain't really for you. And these were my friends. And when I say it kind of crushed me, I was like, man, this music thing is, is dangerous. Like if it can take my friends so quickly for just a few hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I need to focus on this. And it left such a bad taste in my mouth, you know, so to speak. I, um, I said, you know what? Let me lock in on business. I'm here in New York. I have a job. I have an opportunity to take things further. So it was definitely the crabs in a barrel thing that, that you deal with a lot as a man of color. You know, as soon as somebody comes to your team with an opportunity, everybody's, you know, out for themselves. And that was the reality. So. My first, second year, no, my second year at, into that job, I was, I was focused. I wasn't worried about music anymore. And Emmett Dennis told me, he said, look, I'm going to leave this company. And basically, I'm, my, my cousin has a soap business. I want to help him grow his soap business. And I saw it coming because I could sense that things were changing and he wasn't really moving the way he wanted to move with this political marketing firm, Right. But what he did, he said, I have about four months left in the retainer for these brands. That's all you, you can close it out. So I'm like, thank you. Wow. I'll take it. So now 
I have four clients. I'm working on Jay-Z's clothing line, Rockaway. I'm working on Eminem's clothing line. At the time, it was Shady Limited. Eve had a clothing line called Fetish. And I want to say Young Jeezy had a clothing line called 8732. So all of these now are brands that I can now manage for about four months while my mentor goes and does his thing. So I start this company. I go out to the Hamptons. One of our vendors was a web designer. And he said, hey, Bree, I got this company that's giving me office space in exchange for web development. We should partner up. So here we are with our own company, Third Avenue, East Side, New York. I got celebrity clients. I have a huge studio space and a team of crazy developers. And I'm like, thank God. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. Was there a pinch me moment? Was there like you're in the office late at night and you're looking around going, how in the world? I went from a potential $50,000 a year construction job to this. It was incredible. But the recession happens. So as it went up, you know, I remember getting my first big check from a LASIK company somewhere in the Midwest. And then suddenly it's like, hey, <laughs> we got to pull back. So I ended up selling my shares to my partner. And I was dating a young lady at the time who's now my wife. And she said, you know what? Maybe you should get a job. <laughs> Sage advice. <laughs> so the only thing that was on the way up at the time was the pharmaceutical industry. I ended up working for a digital agency that managed Pfizer, Genentech. They gave me 40 brands to manage as a project manager and millions of dollars in resources. And I'm managing probably 30 people now. And I'm, you know, mid-20s. So it was a little overwhelming, but I really cut my teeth in, in management and campaign execution with that because I was able to launch brands that are still around today, like Zarelto, you know, like their first uh, you know, website was something that I helped produce. So while in that lane, I get a call from a good friend of mine, Marilyn Vanelstein. Marilyn used to hand me my $40 uh, intern check. <laughs> at Bad Boy when I when I did my internship with Diddy. And she calls me and she's like, hey, Diddy just signed a deal with Diageo and we need some help with digital marketing. Are you available? <laughs> Let uh, me check my calendar. <laughs> so it was interesting because when I had my own company, let's say I started out a little over 150,000 and this is like 2006. To go get a job, I had to cut my salary essentially like almost in half. And then going to Diddy, it, it kind of went down even more as a manager. But I saw a huge opportunity to learn and to network. And I knew networking and education were kind of the cornerstones of my evolution. So I was like, hey, let's risk it all right now. Let's go for it. So I took the job, digital strategy manager, sat in the queue, you know, 
did my thing, took orders from the boss ladies around the office, right? <laughs> Shout out to Dia Sims and Erica Pittman. With a smile. Right? Right? No, I love life. Um, but yeah, I ended up really hustling my way up the corporate ladder to maybe director. <laughs> it's like three years later. Uh, and, and I got this opportunity to, uh, to talk to a career coach because I felt that I was like, yo, I've been working a long time and I'm still not getting what I was getting as an entrepreneur. Maybe I'm negotiating wrong. So I do remember being in a meeting with Dia Sims, who was my, my boss. She used to run the Ciroc business with Diddy and Diddy. So it's three of us. And I go to I go to Diddy in the meeting, like after we're finished talking about whatever business. And I'm like, hey man, um, can you take me off payroll? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he looks at Diddy, he's like, were you trying to talk about this? She's like, nah. And I, so long story short, that was the beginning of me really trying to find my way into entrepreneurship. I ended up going to Chicago, meeting with a guy who was starting a relationship with Verizon. He was opening up an office in New York under his agency. So he had an agency in Chicago, just got Verizon. So Verizon's in, in uh, I want to say they were in New York. So I took the job because at the time, man, my wife, my girlfriend became my wife and I was on my third child in, in you know, tri-state area, it, it's, it's hard out there. So I had to kind of move around to get my situation where I wanted it to be while, you know, being respectful for everybody that's helped me along the way, right? Never always wanted to, to maintain relationships, right? So, so I did the Verizon thing for about a year. I end up seeing Diddy out uh, at a party one night and he says, yo, I'm doing something. I think there's an opportunity for us. I'm gonna have somebody reach out to you. Um, super random <laughs> for that to happen, right? So uh, I'm, I'm at the new job working on Verizon for multicultural campaigns. And I get the call, hey, Diddy starting Combs Enterprises. And he, he wants to know if you're interested in being uh, you know, part of the digital, you know, leading the digital team like you did before, but now overseeing all the brands. So not just Ciroc, but he had Launch Revolt, um, Aqua Hydrate, you know, Bad Boy was still doing his thing. He was going on tour. And and I said, I said, sure, let's do it. So I ended up going back as vice president of digital and it was back to the same hustle, just up the up the chain, you know, from VP, SVP. And then there was a, a moment where the CEO for Revolt transitioned and they came to me and asked me to be, uh, you know, basically run the digital for the media network. So long story short, I went from intern to C-level exec by just really working my, my you know what off yeah. and, and negotiating, right? Um, so I'm at, I'm at Revolt, corner office, C-suite, making good money. They moved me and my family to Cali. I'm in Southern California. And the audience is up 5X. The engagement is up 3X. Uh, the revenue is up 50% year on year. And I just closed my first deal with a Fortune 500 company. Closed my first deal with Adidas. And my wife is loving life in Cali. She spent, I'm like, babe, 
calm down, (laughs) slow down. You know, we got to be responsible here. And I kid you not, the same day I go in the office and the new CEO says, hey, I don't have you on my plan. And I'm like, what you mean you don't have me on your plan? And I'm I'm a rock star. What do you mean? I didn't say it like that. But of course, I'm like, hey, I've been I've been working. I've all these results. Like, what's going on? But I had to remind myself when I took the job, they told me they were I was negotiating and they were like, hey, a new interim CEO is coming in. You sure you want to ask for this much money? You sure you want this title? Because, you know, when new CEOs come in, it's like a new coach, new general manager. Exactly. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, I ended up transitioning. I took that severance money from my transition and I started Gold's Ventures. Now, here's what's important about Gold's Ventures. Emmett Dennis, who got me my first internship and my first job. And who knows soap. (laughs) And who knows soap. Him and his cousin just exited for like, according to Forbes, like over a billion dollars with um, Unilever. And they went and they started a venture company. So I said to myself, whatever they doing, <laughs> I need to get into that business, right? So I was inspired by Diddy and his ownership. I was inspired by Richelieu and Emmett and what they did with Shea Moisture as black men. And I said, you know what? Now is the time I'm gonna take this severance money and for the next six months, I'm going to build my my brand. And I was applying for jobs. So let's talk about being a black man in America, specifically in California. Truth be told, I I applied for over 500 jobs in a two year period. I interviewed with Facebook, with YouTube, with Netflix. I mean, you name it. The only person that would hire me was another black man. I got another plan. It wasn't from one of those companies. This is after all the success. This is after. So what I kept getting was you're not a cultural fit. You're not a cultural fit. What does that mean? I mean, we know what it means. Like, no, we know what it means, but I mean, I can't, I mean, that's just mind boggling that you would not be a cultural fit in today's day and age. Like that's just, it is what it is. So I think it was all part of a master plan that I have really no control over. Uh, I, I'm just a vessel. Uh, I feel so then, like I'm, so then, Bree, tell me then, tell me the what the clothes, the clothing line represents for you. Is there something about the outward representation of culture through your eyes that is driving goals? It's sort of what you're doing now and the way in which with the I know you've got the QR code, so. In essence, like if I'm wearing it, right, I can tie into that QR code and get advice about sort of the entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. So the story is important because our trademark is get over all limits successfully. I faced a lot of limitations as a black man in America in business. So goals is an acronym for get over all limits successfully. When, When I got released from that job, you know, there was a story that came out that said the lady that ended up, you know, telling me she didn't have a role for me, that she was she was racist. You know, that's what I saw on page six. And other people were saying all kinds of things. People are prejudiced. People might not like you. People might not want to work with you. 
people, there's so many reasons why you might not get an opportunity or get a shot. And you got to get over it. I can't take it personal. I can't be mad. I can't sit down and cry. I can't walk around asking for handouts. I got to get over it. I got to just get to it and figure something else out. So I started my business. I was, I was, I was down to my last. And I met up. I was, I was interning, um, excuse me, I was interviewing in New York, uh, Hot 97, and I met up with Emmett. This is after his, his, his exit, and I, I pitched him my, my business. And he's like, you know what? I got some work for you. And it was a website project that he gave me, and I worked on it. Three months later, I came back to him with a business plan, and he said, hey, I want, I want in. I want to partner with you. So now I have my mentor as my advisor. And he, he put in some money into the company. And here we are two years later. Uh, we've 10X'd that investment. We have hundreds of businesses on our platform right now. And quite frankly, my... My biggest achievement is the fact that we're empowering a generation of entrepreneurs to succeed. So I built this platform with the tools so you can do it yourself. And not only can you do it yourself, if you need some help, you can get access to a concierge to help you. And I felt that my community so distracted by entertainment and fashion. I want to take the Apple approach because Apple inspires me and really go after the passion point and, and, and reach them just like Apple reaches people through music and entertainment and fitness now. I wanna reach my people through the touch points that, that, that they're passionate about. So, you know, we love self-expression. We love premium clothing. So I wanted to create premium quality goods where if you scan the QR code on the back, you get access to our business app. So our business app is available in the Google Play and in the App Store. It's the Gold Supply app. And all of our merchandise, like this hoodie, uh, this vest. I'm liking that see, vest, Bree. <laughs> appreciate it, appreciate it. Goldsupply.com, Gold Supply in the App Store. And we've helped Indigo by Snoop Dogg. We've helped Redmont by Charles Barkley. We are helping Judge Judy and her new show on Amazon. Uh, and I'm just so excited to have these big names, but more so to have five-star reviews on Google from dozens of underserved entrepreneurs just like me that needed that advice, needed that support, needed that mentorship, and now they can get it. What's that look like for you? So if I, if I signed up tomorrow, if I'm an entrepreneur, am I getting advice? Am I getting, is, a, is it a repository of resources? Um, help me understand what that world is like. Absolutely. So let's say you uh, call our hotline, 833-GOALS-TV. You're going to get on the phone with somebody. They're going to schedule uh, a demo with you. You're going to get a one-hour consultation where we talk about your business goals, what you're trying to achieve. We're going to give you a presentation on best practices. This is with a real person. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and speak with a real person. Uh, but then once you get that consultation scheduled, we talk best practices, we talk your business goals, we give you a business audit of your business, and we also give you a toolkit, a demo toolkit that you can use 
to schedule your social media posts, to measure, measure the return on investment from your digital ads, to launch your e-commerce store with WordPress, you know, to get hosted on Google Cloud. So all of the things that you need to kind of get your business off, even getting you and uh, your data distributed to Google Maps, Amazon Alexa, Apple Siri. So all of the fundamental things that you need as a startup to get going. Uh, these are things that you know immigrants that are starting businesses are struggling with, African Americans, women, veterans, college kids. There, there there's not a lot of attention uh, being put from a marketing perspective to these groups. So, being that I understand these groups, I've worked with them over the years. I want to really super serve this underserved community. What do you think the moral of your story is? I can't help but think that with all these challenges that you've had and you've had a lifetime and you're still a young man <laughs> already uh, sort of packed into uh, maybe this first half of your life, I'm imagining you sort of at that kitchen table as a kid and your mom, your mom and dad are racing around, you know, he's going to a job to fix air conditioning. She's a nurse. And there's sort of, like you said, you can't look, you can't deal with these challenges and sort of wallow in self-pity. It's like, next man up mentality. I got to go to the next thing. I got to keep pushing. What's the moral of your story that can be applied to entrepreneurs who maybe struggle to have that, I don't know, that that internal reflection that says, man, I can do this. I've seen others in my family do it because not everybody has that. Done is better than perfect. You got to get started and you got to keep going. And you know, I knew my first logo wasn't it, but I kept designing. I knew the first website wasn't it, but I kept going. Even when people were doubting my business model, I kept going. I'm sitting right now, I'm sitting in my new home in Georgia. And I have a new home in Georgia because I didn't listen to people tell me that my business model wasn't going to work. I have generated millions of dollars with this business. And if I listened to those people, I wouldn't be here in my new home. So get it, keep going, get it done, no excuses. That's a big one. And I learned that from Puff Daddy, no excuses. It's not the white man's fault. It's not your dad's fault or the fault fact that you didn't have a dad. It's it's not the government's fault, like no excuses. Yes, we all have limitations, but we have to get over them and we have to be successful. And, and it, it takes resilience, you know, it takes, um, and, and I'll be honest, man, what, what's really saved me, my faith, my belief, my meditation, I can't leave that one out. And I want to say it again. I've said his name enough, but one good mentor can change a life. So Emmett, I mean, he saved my life three times. So I'm here to help the next generation of entrepreneurs. When I was working for Diddy, I was listening to Napoleon Hill's audiobook, and he said, write down what you want to do and really commit. And I wrote down, I got it in my notes right now. It's um, empower a generation to succeed. This is from 725.16. <laughs> there it is. 
<laughs> it is. So it's all about mentorship and leadership. And if I can be one leader and use technology to help scale, I, my, my vision, my goal is to get 30,000 underserved entrepreneurs on our platform, on our platform by 2025. And I can't do it by myself. I need your help. I need everybody's help. That's why we're here doing this today. So if you hear this and you know somebody that needs help with social media, digital advertising, e-commerce, please, toll free, 24-7, talk to a real person, 833-GOALS-TV, download the app, Google Play, Apple App Stores, Gold Supply, go to goldsupply.com. And we're, we're launching our new content series where we're going to be featuring entrepreneurs that are in our network. We just shot our first two episodes with some young entrepreneurs at the office in Cali, and I look forward to doing much more. So that's that's kind of what it is. Well, you know, you said everybody has a limit has limitations. And I would say this, though, even though we're just getting uh, a chance to know each other today, uh, your one of your limitations is not inspiration. You are very inspirational. Um, regardless, uh, we obviously come we, we've got different backgrounds and and histories, right? And and experiences. And man, you you are an incredibly inspiring guy. And uh, what a pleasure to spend some time with uh, Aubrey Flynn or Bree, as it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, his friends call him, uh, check him out. Uh, I know I'm going to check it out. And, uh, it's really nice to have a conversation that challenges conventional wisdom, but also inspires us at the same time. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. Headroom.